name is Gianni Russo, a.k.a. Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from The Godfather. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. Before all of the wins in my portfolio, I was a little boy diagnosed with polio. Welcome, everybody. It's time for another Hollywood Godfather podcast with my compadre, Pat Piccarelli. Gianni, how are you doing today? Long time no see. Doing fine, my man. Good, <laughs> good. What's going on? I can't believe it. Well, you know, this was uh, uh, for our listeners. Uh, Johnny called me this morning and said, you know, let's do a couple of shows today. And we ha- he, he had the perfect topic to start off with. You know, normally your average person remembers weddings and anniversaries, and birthdays, not us. We remember assassinations. <laughs> that's that's important to us. So uh, today is uh, a milestone in mob history as far as mob killings go. This is the uh, assassination of uh, Paul Castellano and Tommy Bellotti as they went to a uh, meeting at Spark Steakhouse in Manhattan, in town Manhattan. How many years has it been, Johnny? 37 years. I can't believe it. 37 years. But you know, it's interesting what you said. Uh, most people remember weddings and all of that. <laughs> yeah, not us. But indirectly, Tommy Bellotti was my best man at two of my weddings. Really? No. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I can't mention the, the mobster's daughter I married first, Mushad, and then so, I had another wedding. So he didn't have to return the rental tuxedo the first time. He just held on to it, right? Well, I don't think I don't think he ever turns anything back. This <laughs> keeps it come and get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, try try, try to yeah. take this from me. No, right. so I mean that's funny you should say that, and that, that's why it meant a lot to me. I reached out to one of his sons, as you and I this morning, yeah. but he didn't want to speak on the phone. And I can understand that. Yeah, I definitely get that. He's had uh, such a private life now, but you know, before we get in, get into the actual uh, action of the evening, the actual killing of these two guys. Spark Steakhouse, uh, we're going to set the scene for those of you who don't know Manhattan. This is in midtown Manhattan uh, at the height of the Christmas season uh, with hundreds of witnesses to the uh, event. Now, I don't know if even you're aware of this, Johnny, but that Sparks location was their second location. Were you aware of that, that they had a small Sparks restaurant downtown? A long time ago, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, I was in the police academy. On uh, when it was on 20th Street on the east side, and the first box was on 17th Street. Oh, that's and uh, we, we used to go there. I, I wasn't uh, in the academy as a recruit, I was in the academy teaching. So they so, moved up, they moved up 30 blocks. <laughs> yeah, but I tell you, the, the, the original one was small and cozy, and uh, you know, I yeah, we were there all the time, so you know, the, the, owners, the owners knew who we were. And uh, he said, yeah, this is, uh, we got, you know, three weeks to go and we're going to move uptown. And I'm thinking, yeah, he's going to quadruple the rent. And, uh, you know, good luck to him because he was doing well in the place uh, downtown. But uh, I tell you what really put them on the map was this assassination. Well, even before that, though, that place was, I mean, that I, I don't remember this, this. I knew it was down there. I never was in it. But yeah. the size of this restaurant had like maybe four dining rooms upstairs and downstairs. Huge. Huge bar. And that's what he wanted was that bar. Yeah. A, a, a 20-stool bar. I mean, the, the place was a, a, a legend. And you know, as what you pointed out, this this assassination made the world know it. And it became a tourist attraction. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure every tourist that went in there was seating in, in the at the table where uh, – where uh, uh, Castellano and Bellotti were supposed to have sat. Yeah. So and you, do you know who arranged that meeting? Which I, I was an, another smart move I made subconsciously in the, when I met all these guys. I never trusted them. Yeah. Mikey Boy DeChico, their underboss, invited him to this meeting for John. So, so, so what you're saying is Gotti's underboss invited the target of the assassination to dinner. No, his, let's, let me clarify it here. Yes. Paul Castellano's underboss, under Tommy, Frankie oh. Boy DeChico. Okay. All right. Invited him. That's how he became the underboss for John. So that's yeah. what I'm saying. You can't trust any of these people, man. So, okay, obviously, it's all about money and power. That's anyway, right. to set this up, 
what was going on in the in the, in the uh, Gambino family at the time that created this dissension? Well, what I know for a fact what it was, even when I met John early, John Gotti coming down to the neighborhood, and I was working for Costello already at that time. But you know, I lived on Mulberry Street, and I was two four seven. I actually thought for the longest time that Carlo Gambino was my uncle because we had to call everybody over 21 in the neighborhood uncle. I yeah. thought we had the biggest family in the world. <laughs> it turned out we did. <laughs> it was the biggest mob family, the Gambinos. Yeah. But what happened here, let's give a little history. In, in Howard Beach, John Gotti was a top hijacker, and his route was JFK. And this guy was making a ton of money. Yeah, he did say uh, 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 Howard Beach is, is a stone's throw away from JFK. Yep. Yeah. So, and most of the kids, when they were younger, had jobs out there loading trucks on and loading trucks. But he took it to another level. With that said, he realized he wanted the you know, he wanted to get into this world, the life, they called it. Yeah. And he went down. And they, they called, actually, they called him in because he was earning a lot of money. And O'Neill became his rabbi in the family. Who was O'Neill Della Croce. Oh, yes, O'Neill Della Croce, who was the underboss to Carlo Gambino. And Carlo Gambino, you know, through the years, you know, was getting older. And really, what got this whole thing going is that. Carlo Gambino passed over O'Neill, who was the street underboss. His his cousin, Paul Castellano, was the big earner because he owned, well, you know, he basically was the biggest Purdue chicken. He wanted to buy an M. And, but he was bringing in big money and he was family. So he left O'Neill as. Paul's on the boss and his on the boss, but steps down. And that's what really a lot of people in the family said, wait a minute. He just overrode, the, you know, O'Neill's loyalty for all those years. So he, he bypassed the logical person to put Paul Castellano in, who didn't have a reputation of being a real gangster. Let's face it. Oh, no, he was a legitimate guy, a money yeah. owner. Yeah. Western beef. I mean, the guy made a lot of money, but he was rel related to the Gambinos. By marriage, right? Yeah, through marriage. And But the interesting thing with that, you know, as you saw, you're pointing out, this was 37 years ago when the Amorta and all that, La Cosa Nostra, meant something. The code was big. Yeah. And since then, it fell apart. But I, we were um, me. I I didn't care who was the boss and the boss. I you know I sat there and they changed hands so many times. It's ridiculous. You know, to kill a boss uh, of the family, you have to have the acquiescence of the uh, leaders of the other four families. And John Gotti just disregarded all of that. Well, not only that, John John already was on 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 fire with with the syndicate. Who, like you just said, you got to get permission from everybody. You're going to whack a boss. Know, a, a boss. Forget about it. And he was already the boss. You named him Paul Castellano, and and, and Tommy Blardy was his underboss, and O'Neill so, was the street boss. And Gotti at this time was a captain, right? He was a captain, yeah. and he he broke a, a rule earlier on that they called him in on because he made his son John. You, John could not be made. His mother was Jewish. Yeah. He can be. He can't get into the Sicilian yeah. mafia family. Your mother's got to be, a, you know, at least Italian. Yeah. But yeah. So I mean, he he was doing what he wanted to do, and that's why you know it's it's so funny that, and I never liked the guy. I mean, he didn't like me. I didn't like him. And then when I made the movie The Godfather later on, that really pissed him off because he wanted to be the Godfather. I watched, yeah. Well, I watched them make the transition. It was so funny because you and I, we've had conversations about this, how the movie The Godfather influenced a lot of real guys. Well, I remember I remember John Gotti as uh, every time he was uh, photographed 
or videoed. He was always wearing the same tracksuit. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden, he, he, he got dressed. Can we, can we tell him who dressed him? Or are we going to leave that go? Yeah, no, no, let's not get into that one. He's, All right. out. Uh, He's out. He's just come out. I know. Yeah, that's why I asked. All no. right. So anyway, somebody taught him uh, how to dress. And all of a sudden now he's on, he's everywhere. He's, a, you know, nightlife. And uh, he didn't care. He didn't know that the mafia was a secret organization. Yeah. I mean, he took it way beyond. And, and then there was a rumor, I, I can't clarify it, that, you know, they started dealing drugs also which yeah. was a big no-no in the Gambinos. But, you know, they were taking care of certain people, like the Bananos did early on. And all of a sudden, everybody started doing drugs, and they realized the money was in that. But all the all the bosses just turned turned a deaf ear and made me, you know, I don't know what they're doing. So what was John's John Gotti's expectation here, that he waxed the head of the biggest mafia family in the United States? What did he expect to happen? I mean, did he have people behind the scenes that were backing him? Even r- rumors well, of that? Of course, cash-wise, yeah. The other yeah. families were backing him because they wanted to start dealing drugs. And as far as Gambino was in place and yeah. Paul Castellano, they were still old tradition. And okay. you deal drugs, you're dead. There, there was not even a question. You're dead. Yeah, I know. They, they don't warn you. And that, yeah, they were yeah, the they, last they, of the Mohegans. They warn you with a bullet to the back of the head. Hello. Yeah. So, okay, we have the background set. Now they have to pull off in mob circles the crime of the century. They're killing a major boss here. And if somebody was to ask me, how would you do it? The last place I'll be thinking of doing is Midtown Manhattan during the Christmas season. See, but let me let me let me play the devil's advocate with you. That was the smartest place for him to hit this guy. Because you would never call him into the neighborhood. He wouldn't go. Okay. They brought him to the most obvious restaurant where he liked to go. And who arranged it was Frankie Boy DiGico, who was his underboss. So as the boss of the the Gambino family, he never made uh, frequent trips to the Ravenite. He never went to the uh, Bergen Hutton Fish Club. He never talked to his troops. He never did any of that? No. Paul? Paul, why they called it the White House? Toad Hill, you visited him. He went nowhere. He didn't trust anybody. No, he brought not another. See, that's he created a whole other thing. Now he went the other way. Wanted to keep legitimate business going. He had Western beef, but you know, to give him credit, the guy became a multi-millionaire legitimately. What did he need this for? Well, it's a power thing, but the, but the thing is, his own men didn't respect him, and I also heard, and you could probably he was hear, cheap. he was a bit greedy. Hello? He was taking uh, more than should have been allowed. Is exactly. That From their earnings. I know. No, and that's what really pissed him off, because of the fact, he's a multi-millionaire. Now he's doubling what their tidings are supposed to be each week. Doubling. So, Sometimes tripling it, knowing, like so trying what, to suppress them. So what, what did he think? He was so all-powerful that, that no one's going to try to re- replace him one way or another? He didn't think it? Yeah, he, I, I guess he think that, right? Because of the, you know, forget, you got Tommy Bellotti. Under him, he had his brother Joey. I mean, those guys were tough guys. So he had the muscle that he needed. And John Gotti, he didn't know where John Gotti was going. Because they he thought they still controlled him because O'Neill's O'Neill was still the street boss. But he was supposed think, to, he was supposed to be made. You don't think that O'Neill had advanced knowledge of this, do you? Oh, What's I your, don't know. I, 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 I could think he could. Yeah. Because he didn't like Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody liked Paul. I wasn't in his inner circle. Right. So I mean, and I guess I'm knowing that. O'Neill as well as I did. I'm really O'Neill liked me. I liked him, and we'd go out clubbing and everything. I mean, I I was meeting him at night. He said, Come up here, and meet me over here, and I I went everywhere with him. And there was a guy that's still around, Joe, Joe Chinque. It's uh, he's still alive. Very few of us alive. We were just talking about the other night that you know, that O'Neill, these guys love to go out and clubbing. 
We went to every major club that was happening, and, and they pull up. They don't even need a reservation. They see yeah. these guys. You got whatever you want, and they don't want anything for nothing. They weren't yeah. taking you down. They paid. Yeah. But I, I think, like you're saying, I think O'Neill knew what was happening, and the fact that Frankie Boy, the Chico, fell right in line with it all, and his father was a very close friend of mine, Boozy De Chico. And he was a boss in the Gambinos family, but he just got old and retired. But though Frankie Boy was reared in this and knew, and that's why he, Paul showed up. They set up a meeting that Paul wanted to meet this guy. Which guy? You know? Nobody ever knew. They didn't need a guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But they, they had to drop a name to have Paul show up. Right. I mean, Paul wanted to meet him. So Frankie Boy said, we got the meeting set up. He wanted to meet that guy. He wants to meet you at Sparks. It's going to be Thursday night. And that's why he showed up. Okay. So there we are. And to set up the hit, which was a uh, closest thing to a military operation that I could imagine. It was uh, a bunch of shooters. How many? Do you recall? Well, I knew of four. There were two other backups. And then John... Because m- most people don't realize it, the street sparks goes west, and that's a big part of this program. <clears throat> going west, and he's sitting in the car down the end of the street, watching all this, watching it all. Him and Sammy the Bull. Him and Sammy the Bull. That was the backup. Yeah. And then they watching these guys. I forgot what they call those Russian hats that they were wore. Uh, Cossack hats. Cossack hats. So they had four or five guys dressed like that. The, the, well, the, the, that was a smart move because the witness. I think it was brilliant. I yeah. think it was brilliant. And also let our audience know all the embassies are on that street, around that street, because of the United Nations. So they're used to seeing people dressed in costume hats. Yeah, but that was a brilliant move to have all the hitters dressed the same. Uh, how oh, yeah. You, if in the event there was any arrests, you know, uh, Subsequent to the to the shooting, uh, a, a half decent defense counsel who just graduated law school three days ago can confuse a witness on his say, "Well, how do you know it was him?" Yeah, there was five guys, six guys on the street dressed the same. How do you know it was him? And they could destroy any uh, any eyewitness testimony. Oh, reasonable, yeah, reasonable doubt. Forget about it. They had it. So so Paul arrives and uh, he gets out of the car first. I would assume. Yeah, Tom Tommy's driving. Yeah, and and they Paul just and. Just let loose. Oh, yeah. I mean, there they, they were shooters on both sides of the car. They never got off the street. Yeah, they, they were just outside. Tommy, yeah, they died right in the street. Yeah, anybody that wants to see those pictures of the bodies, uh, you know, just Google it. And uh, they're very, very iconic pictures. Paul Castellano appears to be like the bottom half of them is like almost under the car. He was trying to get away. Bilotti, right. I, I don't recall Bilotti being on that side of the car with him, was he? No, he was on the other side getting out as a driver. Yeah. And anyway, uh, the shooting takes place. Everybody's screaming and running. And these guys that did the hit just calmly walked away. Uh, Gravano and God. But the interesting, what we should say also, you calmly walked away all different directions. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Which was brilliant also. Gravano and John Gotti uh, went immediately to the Ravenite. Uh, that's in Little for those of you who don't know it already, on uh, Mulberry Street. And they got uh, welcomed like a conquering hero. Yep. So the, the people, the they people were, on the end knew what was happening. It was all the, FBI, the radios. Yeah, the FBI's across the street, and they're, they're videoing all this. And as soon as uh, Gotti arrives, uh, people are outside shaking his hand, round of applause, and the FBI guys are scratching their heads. Because they didn't know what happened at the time. But he just took over. Yeah, that's and- it. No permission, no taking on. And, you know, it, it's funny because we, we started a tradition soon after that that I was basically lured into and that we would meet the Friday after Thanksgiving. Who's we? A bunch of guys, and we talked about some of them. Okay. We'd meet, and they obviously the day after Thanksgiving, they weren't with their wives and children. They were with their gumaris, and we'd have a different place. I used to fly in. 
because I, I, my, in my own subconscious mind, I wanted to keep my relationship going with these guys. Well, you still all my life. I was living. I, no, I was in L.A. already. Time already. Yeah. I, in fact, I married Shannon, the last wife that I had. And we already had a baby, and they all loved Shannon. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> my wedding in Beverly Hills was almost a joke because the Sultan of Brunei, who I knew, he bought the Beverly Hills Hotel. I know. I remember that. And I and I arranged it with Marvin Davis of Davis Oil because he wanted out and the Sultan wanted to buy it. But nobody realized why the Sultan wanted to buy it. The Sultan wanted to buy it and make it his private residence <laughs> in Beverly Hills. Well, they and, had those bungalows in the back of what basically houses. Yeah, but not only that, but he thought if you if you know Beverly Hills at all, that's the only um, commercial building in Beverly Hills, north of Sunset. So he that's thought he'd get the zoning changed and everything. That's the only business. That, that was the only business. So he thought he can get it. And but, I mean, the guy was so brilliant. But why I'm bringing it up? He said, well, I, I, what, what are you going to I said, hold it. What do you mean you're going to do? He's not going to renovate the hotel. I just want to get married here. He said, I'll arrange the marriage to do it. You'll be my guy. I'm going to I'm gonna pay for the wedding. He paid for the whole wedding. So I went crazy. I had a, a theme Friday night for all the out-of-towners, which most people were out-of-towners. I did the Casablanca theme. I was Bogard. Shannon was whoever that was in the movie. And we did that. Then we had 300 people, black ties, sit down in the crystal ballroom. And then on Sunday, all the bungalow areas and all the pool areas we had for the kids and everybody that couldn't come to the wedding. So it was a three-day party. <laughs> you know, for those of you who are listening to this now who read Hollywood Godfather and wondering why this wasn't in the book, well, we only had 300 pages. There's more left out of the book than we put in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you just have so much room. Uh, uh, well, yeah, anyway. and they really didn't mean anything. It was just a fun thing to do. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Big Paul is dead, and but there are some repercussions here. Uh, uh, Vincent Gigatti was pissed that, oh my God, God, yeah. that Gotti would take the rules of uh, uh, Cosa Nostra into his own hands and uh, he put a hit. Was he the guy or was he the boss that ordered the bomb put in the car? Or was that gas pipe? No, he, he hired gas pipe to do it. My, my gas pipe wasn't a boss. He was a, an assassin for them. Well, he was a captain, too. Well, I'm not saying, but he, he yeah. couldn't, you know, no, he, uh, no, well, like you, you pointed out, I mean, the only, the only family that I knew went along with it is the Bonanos. Did and you know that? Well, because first of all, all the other families sanctioned him. He was exiled in Arizona. He couldn't even come to New York no more. Oh, oh, Joe Bonanno, yeah. Yeah. So, and his son... Now is the boss. This guy should become a boss like I become a boss. <laughs> or my, my teenage kid becomes a boss. This kid never did nothing wrong. Now, all of a sudden, he's running the banana family. I mean, it was such a, a crazy time. But I think the banana and the, that was the only one that knew what was going on and, and didn't care. Well, uh, so Jugati uh, uh orders gas pipe uh, Castle, Anthony, Anthony Castle, to put a bomb in John Gotti's car uh, as payback for killing Paul Castellano without the permission of the commission. Not that he was a great lover of Paul Castellano, but uh, Gigatti was an old-time gangster. You don't break the rules like that, particularly that rule. Oh, hello. The major, major rule that was broken. Only uh, when, that day when uh, uh, Gotti came to Brooklyn, he was driven by Frankie DeChico. Man, and you know how that happened? Yeah. This is so crazy. They go into a, they were going to visit a club in Brooklyn. Yeah. Frankie boy, they, something, they had to get something out of the car. He grabbed John's coat. Yeah. And put it on the shoulders. Gas pipe thought that was the guy he was supposed to blow up. He blew up the guy he wasn't supposed Yeah, I tell you, it was planned well. That's what's called the command detonated bomb. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm very familiar with them from Vietnam, instead of just planting a mine and hoping for the best, you have some guy in the edge of the jungle 
with a pair of, of uh, binoculars with a little box. And as soon as you see your target walk over the bomb or the target you want in a line of GIs, you know, you want the guy that's at the head of it, you squeeze the little thing and you blow it up. That's a command detonated bomb. That's what Casso did. Only he saw John Gotti's jacket on somebody and he assumed it was Gotti. Right. It was and an he, overdose. And, and he, killed, he, killed, uh, he killed Frankie DeChico instead. That was the first attempted hit. And oh, yeah. I think that w- there was another plot uh, against Gotti. But after a while, that fizzled out. Well, you know what it is, John? John, well, first of all, understand this, as we spoke earlier. All, all the soldiers and uh, captains and all that, they loved John. John was generous. And John gave him an opportunity to deal drugs. Hello. Well, let's, uh, on, on, on that note, uh, let's go to a commercial. Please. We'll be right back. We got to make some money. More money. Don't go nowhere. We know where you live. <laughs> All right. We're back. All right. So, uh, yeah. So, John was a popular boss until he became a little full of himself. And he basically, uh, and this arguably helped bring down the New York Mafia with his antics. Well, you know what it is? I had the privilege, if you would call it that, because my my business, as as we pointed out in Hollywood Godfather, I still had all my Vegas business because my Vegas business was feeding a lot of other people other than just New York families, Chicago, Milwaukee, I mean, every place. And I was just doing a general business. So they let me do what I had to do. I got thrown into the mix where I'm watching two maniacs, one Johnny Gotti and one of Tony Spilatro, break every rule that anybody ever thought of. I, I think both of them destroyed what we know as organized crime in this country. Well, but Gotti had, had more influence in that area because he was the boss of the Gambino family. You know, 2,000 made and associate members of the Gambino family. 2,000. I know. I and that was then. I don't. I don't. I don't know what it is now. But uh, what did Gotti think he was bulletproof? Well, you know the other thing which you just pointed out. Even though, uh, what the hell was his name? Tony Spilatro. Tony Spilatro. They gave him Vegas to run. He didn't need a big crew. But don't forget, see, not like the five families in New York. Chicago is the Chicago outfit. It's run by one group. So for him to be ahead of that, uh, I mean, a, a liaison for that group, they're talking about big money. These guys made more. more I've seen it. I know what, what their cuts were. You know, New York was getting a cut from two hotels. Chicago was getting like four. And um, that's how it was tied, chopped up. But God, he had no, no fear of retribution. How do you feed nobody? I think, I mean, I, I, he's a psychopath to begin with. So, I mean, I don't know. He, he broke every, every rule. I tell you when, uh, you know, after this whole thing started to fall apart, when uh, 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 Gotti got arrested for the third and last time, he eventually got convicted and Sammy the Bull testified against him. I mean, there was a plot against Sammy the Bull. They had three guys coming out of Newark. And I wrote about this in, uh, in another book. Mike Russell's book. We, we had we had Mike on the show about a year ago. Uh, he was undercover with the Northern New Jersey crew. But they had three guys drive or attempt to drive from Newark to Arizona to kill Sammy the Bull. One of those guys was an active Newark police lieutenant. Wow. Yeah. And uh, they got they were so poorly planned and everybody knew about it that they were stopped, I believe, in Kansas or Oklahoma. Uh, uh, they were caught, arrested. Uh, they all got life, including that police lieutenant. Wow. For conspiracy to commit murder. They warned Gravano. He said, let him come. Oh, yeah. I mean, see, Sam, it's, it's so funny about Sammy. I mean, Sammy had to, even now, I mean, he's got a podcast that he, he, he's been asking for me to come on, Michael Franchese. He's been, I'm, not, I'm not in that life. Why would I want to come and talk to you? And then I heard it once. Somebody let me listen to it. It's all F this and mother this. Yeah, it's, I, I, I listen to, you know, one thing I'll, I'll give 
uh, Sammy the Bull is he can tell a story. He's theatrical. He's histrionic. And for people who don't know the life of being involved with the same type of people every day, he's amusing. Well, not only is he amusing, for these young guys, he's like a hero to them. Yeah. I tell you, he he can uh, often he'll on his podcast, he'll just uh, talk on his own for 70 minutes, you know, talking uh, uh, yeah, I mean, well, it's hard for him to get guests. <laughs> well, he's had a few. Him and uh, Michael Francis got into it, uh, a bit of an argument uh, back when he first started. But right. uh, Sammy the Bull is making a lot of money with products, and he's doing very well with that podcast because of who he is. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. That There's people who want to buy the stuff. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't even want to mention the guy's name who financed all that because you know he's a good friend of ours yeah okay you put him in business i'll ask you who he is after the show yeah uh and put michael in business too yeah well My name's them. michael's michael's doing well he's got over a million uh followers and uh he's, he's, he's doing well he's got his own uh, uh he's got his own wine line now i know uh well, yeah a- I, I know the people went to him about it. but you see even with michael 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 it was totally different than anybody we just spoke about today. Michael yeah. was college educated. He came up with a scheme about these gas taxes. Yeah. Made millions and millions of dollars legit, illegitimate. But I mean, he could have just turned under the radar. His his father, Sonny, was a, a, a career criminal. I know him well. Like when he came out, I, I had a couple of dinners with him at Parkside. Before he passed on at 103, I think he was. But um, Michael is a gentleman. And he said he met me. I don't know how he could have met me because we're our age gap. You know, you never know, John. You can met so many. So did I. People come up to me and who am I? I mean, but uh, But he had to be be 13 or 14 years of age. Maybe that's when it was. Maybe it was. All right. But But, uh, anyway, there's a guy guy that uh, that, uh, turned his life around. I'm, I'm impressed with him. Anyway. I, I am too. I'm, I'll never be impressed with Sammy the Bull. I mean, to me, oh, not Sammy the Bull. Sammy the Bull is who he is. He's, you know, 79 years old or whatever he is and looks every day, but I guess prison takes it out of you. But so, you know, if you, if you look at it from a historical point of view, uh, Gotti's decision to kill Castellano basically was the death knell for the New York Mafia. Because after that, everything went south. Well, yeah. I mean, I, think I know not only that, the just the RICO Act destroyed the rest of anybody else that was in it. They weren't, you know, most people, our listeners, I'm sure they don't know. You know, the RICO Act years ago when people say, oh, I could do 10 years on my head. The reason they could do 10 years on their head, because their wives were staying in their houses and driving their Cadillacs and wearing their fur coats and once the RICO Act is in force, you know better than anybody. So they want to know, how did you get that? How'd you get that house? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they got evicted. Well, a, a lot of the people who eventually flipped uh, on the threat of their wives getting kicked out on the street. Exactly. How did you buy the house, as you just said? How did you buy the car? How did you buy the furs? We're going to take everything. So if you're on the fence about talking, it's now's the time to make the right decision. Otherwise, your family's going to be uh, on welfare. And that was uh, the impetus for a lot of these guys to flip. And I think that I think when when you you know we they gave them the ammunition to have these guys flip because these guys didn't you know they'd be broke besides and their wife will get the kids everybody will hate them so yeah they they got you know they went into the witness protection program and spilled their beans. It's, well, it's I think it's going to take many years if it, if the uh, if the mafia can recover at all in New York. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting because you know, as you know, I just came back from Sicily. Yeah. And I had a surprise visit over there with some guy that I knew a hundred years, and he introduced me to a guy. I mean, we all knew about two or three years ago when our book came out. A guy got hit. Up in Toad Hill. I don't know why he moved there. I, mean, I think that was the stupidest thing in the world. He was already the head of the Gambino family for three years. Nobody even knew he existed. That's the way it's supposed to work. I know. But that's why I'm bringing it up. They they brought a guy in that knows how to operate. But his wife's sister was dating this idiot that shot him. 
But that, you know, that wasn't a mob hit, obviously. Oh, no, not at all. That's why I, I'm the only reason I'm bringing it up. I was on um, Extra, one of those shows, and they went over the radio and they said, Johnny, would you say something about the killing? I said, what killing? And they told me about, you know, I don't want to mention his name. But, and I said, hold it. First of all, that guy's a real guy out of, out of Sicily. He was doing it right. And they would never sanction a hit in front of his house, in front of his family. Oh, yeah. And so that, that was, wasn't that his, his, his daughter's boyfriend or something? No, his wife's sister's boyfriend. Okay. Okay. And he forbid him to come to the house and to kick one up and shot him. <laughs> well, he showed him. Right. I, you know, I really, I really like, we should try to find out what happened to that guy. I'm so curious. How I'll could find- he have lived in jail? We should find that out. Yeah, well, he, I didn't even know what he got. I mean, I, I'll, 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 I'll do the research. It's, yeah. it's, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely find out. Uh, so anyway, that's 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 where we are. And uh, well, for those of you, by the way, uh, we've been getting a lot. You know, we're going to do uh, emails, but getting a lot of people asking about uh, a couple of things. The audio book, which we announce every week. You know, you're in the process of producing that and, right. and narrating it. But they're also asking for signed copies. Uh, so I've been directly responding to those emails and, and giving them my mailing address. Send me the books. You've already signed your part of them. Right. And I, and I told them, to, you know, if, if you want signed books, just uh, go on, uh, go online to where all the emails are. And you'll see my, uh, at my address up there from the, uh, uh, from the emails that I've already answered. Uh, send us the book with a self-addressed stamp, stamped envelope. I will sign it and drop it in that envelope and get it right back to you. That's the way we decided to do it. Yeah. Because we live we live seven hours apart from each other here. And to send books back and forth. So Gianni just signed a whole bunch of them and, uh, and gave them to me. In fact, they're right here in a, in a, in a cart. Uh, so anyway, send us the books and I'll take care of the rest. And thank you all. I mean, the book is only out a few weeks and we're really getting some great traction already. It's out two weeks. We haven't even started to market it yet. I know. Our marketing campaign starts. It's like insane. That one guy bought 300 copies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, for Christmas yeah. gifts. Yeah, it's, it's 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 doing well. We're getting a lot of good feedback. Any of uh, those of you who uh, bought the book, when you, as soon as you get finished reading it, if you would give us a review, good, better, and different on Amazon, we would appreciate that. Uh, and I guess uh, that's about it for Paul. Do you want to uh, do some emails or? Handle it for another show. What, 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 how many did we do? How much time did we do? Well, we did about, uh, we're at 38 minutes. You want to do a couple of emails? Yeah, let's do a couple of emails. Because we love the emails. And we'll be right back with some emails. And it's one of our favorite parts of the show to really find out what's going on. This is Patrick Piccarelli, co-host of the Hollywood Godfather podcast. I'm also the president of Condo Security and Investigations full-time investigative and security firm established in 1988. We are located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with worldwide affiliates. Our business paradigm is simple, to provide the most professional services possible while maintaining an ethical standard and client satisfaction. Our areas of expertise include criminal and civil investigations, asset searches, surveillance, executive protection, question documents, background investigations, computer forensics, polygraph, and many other services. Our staff consists of former law enforcement professionals with hundreds of years of combined experience. Your initial consultation is free. Visit our website, www.condorprivateeye.com or call 724-396-2808. Thank you. Okay, I'm gonna, you know, there's, there's this one email here which will take up 10 minutes. I gotta find it though. <laughs> We love the idea. I mean, obviously, like you're saying, uh, and, and the show ideas we've gotten from you guys. I mean, oh, yeah. In, in fact, there's, there's one here, uh, one guy listed like three show ideas. We'll do that in the next hour. But anyway, let me let me find this guy. Oh, by the way, uh, I watched that interview that you did, that 58 minute interview with uh, Derry Runlet and uh, Baldacci, Bob Baldacci. Yeah. Okay. I got an email. What the fuck is it? Just vanished on me. 
Maybe you should print them out and put them on the desk. So, you know, I can only imagine how many emails you have there. Okay. That's why I let you handle all that. <laughs> A lot of them. All right. Uh, the co-host, the, the, the older guy, that right. was from the show, Derry Runlet. Right. Well, he was just diagnosed with uh, throat cancer. Oh, wow. He's having a very tough time. And uh, Bob Baldacci, who wrote this email, said it would, would be great if you could do a shout out for him or interview him or do an interview uh, uh, with him. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we can do the shout out right now. Why now? Yeah, please. Come back from commercial. But he's got throat cancer. I forgot to tell you. Oh, we're not back from commercial now? No, we're not. Let's go back now. Okay. All right, we're back to do some emails, and we have a, a, a very special guest who was, I mean, he, uh, I was their guest, and we just found out that one of the gentlemen is diagnosed uh, with cancer, and we'd like to wish our best to all of them. Okay, and let me... Uh, Christmas and... Shall I read the email? Yeah, please. Okay, this is from uh, Robert Baldacci. He's a friend of the show. And uh, he interviewed Gianni uh, a while back, I think in October, with uh, Derry uh, Rundlet. They were, they were co-hosts. Anyway, uh, Robert says, uh, Gianni, I hope all is well. I listen to your podcast all the time. You and Patrick do a great job. Just wanted to let you know that my co-host, Derry Rundlet, and we had you on a show a few weeks ago, is dealing with throat cancer and is having a very tough time. It would be great if you could do a shout out for him, which we're doing now. Yeah, please. Uh, and uh, our our, uh, our interview with you uh, was the best meeting the interview they did with you. Uh, take care and hope we can meet in person real soon. So let's say a few words about the dairy or two dairy. Well, dairy. I'm, I'm first of all, uh, I enjoyed doing the, the interview with you guys. The, the, very knowledgeable. I love people that do their homework. But more important now, I'm going to ask our audience. Pat and I are spiritual. I pray every day for so many people, and uh, you're now on my list. And keep the faith, man. That's what it's about. Unfortunate, you know. It um, you don't know when when these things are going to happen. But we're thinking about you as best you can. Have a great holiday, a new year, and um, you'll beat this thing. Okay, uh, we got one from Tom. Uh, love the Hollywood Godfather book. Absolutely fun and exciting read. I've ordered the sixth family. Can't wait for it to arrive. Episode idea. Uh, break down the writing process. Everything from developing ideas, conversations between the two of you, rewrites chapters that are e easy or difficult, uh, uh, publishing, etc. Will be fascinating. So we can answer that question now because it won't uh, qualify to do a whole show on it. But Johnny and I decided to, we're going to talk about the second book because the first book was decided by our agent and we didn't know each other. Right. So it's a whole different process. So now we decided to do a Johnny Russo fiction series, as as you well know. So, uh, which you know, fiction you make stuff up, which uh, which helps. A lot of this is based on fact, which we had to discuss, and a lot of it isn't. But we're free to say whatever we want and let you decide what's true and what's not. But what what we would do is I would I would write the chapter and I would give it to Johnny. He would read it with his ideas. Uh, if there were any, you know, any changes or corrections or whatever, and uh, we would do it that way. But developing the idea is very easy in this case because this gentleman has lived a wide and varied life, and that's putting <laughs> politely. So to come up with ideas when when you're writing a book of fiction in a series, don't forget this is going to go on. We're going to do one or two books a year. Uh, for somebody just pulling ideas out of their heads can be difficult, and this is why a lot of series books, uh, fiction, uh, eventually wind up telling the same story. I've noticed this over the years. I've been following, I'm an avid reader. I've been following series all my life. And eventually you get to the point where say, hey, I've read this before because the writer, as skilled as he or she is, starts to run out of ideas. I mean, there's a couple of people out there like John Sanford, who uh, writes a series about a cop in Minnesota. Uh, his, his, his ideas are still fresh after 27 books. But for the most part, it looks familiar after three or four books. We don't have that problem <laughs> because we have so much to pull from. So as far as developing the story, this is the first book that I wrote without an outline. 
because I lived this stories, these stories with Gianni. And, you know, it's not that it's a convoluted plot, but there are two plots going on at once. And uh, I didn't have a problem with it because I knew the story was in my head. And we talk about it. Uh, as far as the editing process goes, we have a professional editor. His name is Mike Dell, uh, who also designed the cover for the book and did a, a phenomenal job in both areas. Yes. Congratulations, Mike. Yeah. Rewrites. Uh, somebody once told me when I was starting in this business that it's not about writing, it's about rewriting. So what I would do is I would write the chapter, go all the way through it without going back. So once you start going back, you never get the damn chapter done. This has to be changed. That has to be changed. So I would wait till Gianni read it, gave me his input. Then I would go back and do the rewrite of the chapter. So we've got, I don't know how many chapters we have in the book. 30? 31. 31. 31? All right. Uh, After the book is completed, then we go back from page one. Even after the edit, Michael Dell is a professional editor. He's very good at what he does. I still go back because there's not a book in existence that you can buy anywhere that after all the vetting, all the editing done by professionals in the publishing industry, and these people are good, they still miss stuff. So I went through it three times. Mike went through it three times. Johnny went through it three times. And now we feel, you know, prior to uh, publishing the book, we felt that, well, we have a good product here. Someone's going to find something. Uh, But our attitude is, well, you may find one or two mistakes in a 336-page book, but it's clean. The point is editing means everything. In writing is very important. You got a good editor, and we got one. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's basically it. It's just the two of us. We didn't have to consult anybody. We did everything ourselves, except for the editing part, which we're not capable of doing. Yeah. And the one thing we 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 made a decision, and uh, my lawyers were a, a big part of the influence of it to go to novels. Because how much can I talk about that has no statute of limitations? <laughs> yeah. You, you know, I mean, we have those of you who bought the book, and there's a lot of you already. Uh, give us reviews, by the way. That's a hint. Anyway, uh, uh, you know, we indicate in, in, in the first uh, uh, page of the book, before the story starts, is that this book is a work of fiction, except for the parts that are true. And there are, there are the, best, the best disclaimer I ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you. We'll be able to pick it out. Those of you who are uh, steeped in mob law uh, or past, you know, mob history, will be able to figure some of this out. And others, like The Godfather, was something similar to that. Everybody, you know, a lot of readers were saying, "Oh, the Johnny Fontaine character, Sinatra, this is this." Well, fiction is always based on fact, always. So it's a question of how much fact is in there and how well can uh, we we can disguise it, and we, you know. We always worry about lawsuits, of course we can, but we're not worried anymore. Nope. I sleep, I sleep well at night now. Anyway, one to two books a year, depending on uh, uh, a time frame and how popular the books are. And I'm sure you're going to like this one. Uh, and we'll just uh, keep on improving. Every story is going to be different. Every time frame is going to be different. This book takes place in 1986, the one that's out now, The Sixth Family. The books that are coming out will be jumping all over the place. The one that's coming out now, uh, next in 2023 is going to be called, uh, the working title is The Friendly Island. It takes place in the Caribbean. Uh, and that takes place uh, about 2017, 2018. And then the third book may take place in 1970. You know, there's just so much material. We just didn't want to go in order. Uh, yeah. A variety. And not only that keeps you sharp and, and you can see how much, where, where we're going. I mean, we got countries to cover yet <laughs> yeah oh yeah and, you know and uh, ask any writer you know writing writing not fiction is great i made a lot of friends with johnny obviously and i still keep in contact with my, the other subjects of, of my books but there's nothing like writing fiction when you have total freedom to yeah. do what you want to do it also shows you, you the writer your skill level because nonfiction is a lot easier to write than fiction a lot easier uh, and if you can pull off fiction, you know, you, you can, you can pat yourself on the back if you can write successful fiction. And truthfully, I've been doing this a long time and I was impressed with myself, Johnny, after I did this book, I said, oh, no, you know, no, no, the book is amazing to me. Uh, and it's, you're writing about me and I, how many times I've, I, I called you, we're sharing it now with our listeners. I, I was amazed. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed now, as you pointed out, I'm currently reading 
the book it should, and we should have it out in a timely fashion in January when we start with all our publicity. Oh, yeah. It just amazed me. It amazes me. And I'm already seven hours into this. Yeah. That's a, a lot of the yeah, so other it, book. I think it was three or four hours. This book it, is it, uh, this this right this email or uh, Tom didn't ask about audio books. So tell tell us the process. What are you going through with this audio book? First of all, Gianni's doing this entire audio book. Yeah, so, I, I wouldn't. First of all, I'm I'm so proud of first of all what you've written, and I'm a part of it. It's my life. I'm not going to have an actor read this, that which they do, as you know. They bring in guys and they pay him to read it. So I I read the first book and we've gotten you know great acclaim from it and, and people always said we love that you did your own book. So we're not going to change that. I mean, unless you totally hate the next one and say <laughs> get somebody to read it. I doubt that. And yeah, no, you I, I have a passion for this. My life. Yeah. So you know, especially certain elements that really are very sensitive to me. Like Marilyn Monroe, for instance. Yeah, she appears in a book. Yeah. So, w- with that said, that that's what I'm doing. I'm having fun with it, and uh, fortunately, I have the comfort of my own home now with a studio, because we didn't have a studio before. After the after the book, we created the podcast. Yeah, we the podcast thought came with the studio. <laughs> yeah, little did we know. I mean, uh, I I wound up doing it on an iPad. But you spent thousands, thousands on equipment we never really needed. Now we need it for the audiobook. Oh no! I mean, I have. I mean, I have a full studio here. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, you know, as, as I told Gianni numerous times already, if for the rest of my writing career I could only do these books, this Gianni Russo series, and that's it, I would be content. I want you to be content, so keep writing. Oh, I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 and all for our people, please. Our success is based on your support. We, we wouldn't be doing anything. We'd be looking for, I don't know what else to do, but these books are so exciting for us, and uh, we want to do them for you and for us. So okay, I think that, let's say goodnight, I think. We're, yeah, as we, we're, we're at the end of the show. And once again, we thank everybody for, uh, for uh, listening. This was more or less a rap session. Right. Uh, next year, which is only two weeks away, uh, less than two weeks away, we have uh, quite a few guests, some of whom will surprise you. Yeah, uh, please. We're looking forward to that. But uh, that's it, John. You have a good night. Yeah. You too. And everybody out there, God bless you. Be safe. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo or Patrick Picciarelli with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. My kids still can't believe I sat with a saint. My life's like scenes out of a movie. I'm the Hollywood Godfather, truly. I got stories with them all. You know, celebrities, world leaders, icons. Who knows what's next for me? I'll never get too old to have a little fun. Come on, I'm Gianni Russo. A genuine one of a kind. What a ride it's been, this life of mine. And I ain't done yet. I'll be back until next time. And that was that.